It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. We've got a little bit of fall drive news this morning. We're going to catch up with a couple that have... I suppose they're almost living the Australian dream. They packed up during COVID. They bought themselves a yacht and have been travelling right up of Eastern Australia. And I think currently the boats in the Sunday is one of the premier yachting and boating destinations the country has on offer. So it's a huge show of real adventures coming your way this morning. One of the most recognisable recreational anglers the country has on offer is also Aaron Habgood. Good morning, Redmond. Well, it's fantastic to be back sitting alongside you, Patrick. Uh, back doing the show nice and formal. Good morning to our listeners out there. And I just want to say, how good has this weather been? I know a little bit of rain during the week. It's been 30, sunny. It's been probably – we'll do the feels like, Pat. Feels like 25 <laughs> on the water. It, it feels like – it's been beautiful. But how's the old KP been in that stadium? You got a nice breeze coming through there on those 33-degree days? I actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I've had a, a few people message me at the start of the week, you know, go for a fish. I'm training, mate. What do you oh, mean? I apologise, but it was. Uh, this is my manager. Water. No, this wasn't you. This is my manager. He's like, you want to go for a fish? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm running. I'm running my ass off for 13 kilometres in blood, sweat, and tears, mostly tears and a lot of sweat. So I haven't well, been enjoying it, Aaron, unlike you, but there's been some, um, unfortunately, sort of my region of the world, there's been a few easterlies, but it's been good for fishing. Certainly there's been great r- reports statewide, countrywide, if you will, certainly on the, the bottom end of South Australia, there's some great reports, southern bluefin tuna. We're seeing really good reports along the east coast of Marlin. And then as we've often talked about, Redmond, this time of the year, once that water temperature increases, and it's around that 20-degree mark at the moment, the kingfisher firing, the southern bluefin tuna are in really good size schools and really good size fish. It's all happening. It is. You couldn't have said it any better. It's literally shaping up to be an absolute cracker of a summer. Uh, the weather, I just it's just the stability in it. It's a, I think it's because we haven't seen it for so long, Pat. It's just been, I guess, so... Oh, it's shocked us all. Hang on, we can fish yeah. one day and then the next and then yeah. the next. <laughs> well, some days have been fascinating, like amazing, but then you get three real bad ones and it's been just so inconsistent. But all of a sudden, the last week and a half has just been beautiful. I know we got a bit of rain at the end of the week, but anyone can handle a bit of rain when it's only blowing 10 knots from the north, but it's 60 mil of it. But it's, uh, but it, it's definitely been 
one of those patterns that has just been sensational. It's weird because we're not getting those high-pressure systems at the moment, and we're talking about where you and I live, sitting over Port Phillip Bay like we used to. So rather than getting our northerlies, the high pressure is in a different area, and it's actually causing a hell of a lot of easterly winds. And I think it has a little bit of an effect on why we're not getting 40-degree days. I know sounds a bit silly, but we're getting a lot of 28s to 32s, which I'm not complaining about. I think that's the perfect temperature. But it's been really stable at that, and I think it's really helped with the fishing. The, the kingfish have really started to fire up right along the coast, down Malacuta's fishing well. I know Marlowe's fishing well. Portland has been on fire. Port Ferry, the whole southwest Victoria, and even into Eden. We've got a bit more information about that a bit later. But then you've got the bluefin from Taz, like you said, from all the way of South Australia down to here. And I've had a beautiful week on the water. Literally, I actually really enjoyed your Instagram stories with you and Jezza sweating your butts out. I think that made my day. But it's uh, it, the, the fishing's been sensational. The whiting in Port Phillip Bay, amazing. The squid have been sensational. They're just not letting up. Uh, I've already mentioned the kingfish and the and the tuna. The bottom fishing gummies, the snapper are still going in Port Phillip Bay and in Western Port Bay. So everything is going really, really well. But one thing I just want to mention off just quickly, Pat, before we get into a bit of shark talk is, did you say during the week, I've never seen them before, ever, and I reckon you may have, Japanese flying squid. No, I said Japanese flying squid, not fish. It's an actual squid. I'll tell you what. The only, the only time I've seen squid flying is when someone's flung him in the boat yeah it's usually uh me skull dragging him across the surface to get the next one <laughs> it was it was pretty incredible to see um before we get into a bit of in-depth analysis around uh, not only mako sharks but kingfish as well a little bit of full drive news uh toyota have announced rather than an all-new model of their fifth generation prado uh, they'll be facelifting their current model, whether that sits in line with other manufacturers who continue to introduce new models. It's an interesting uh, decision by Toyota. What we're hearing is there's ongoing production issues that have plagued pretty much every uh, automotive manufacturer globally. Um, so that supply chain, meaning rather than an all-new model Prado, it's just a facelifted addition. Will that impact um, purchases of this? We'll have to wait and see, Aaron. Toyota it's continues going, to it's be. It's going to 3.3 litres twin turbo diesel V6. It's, it's actually similar to what the Amrock did. The Amrock was only a four-cylinder. I think it was might have only been 2.2, but it's the same sort of thing. They just facelifted it, and yeah. and I've got an Amrock, and I love the way it tows. It's, it's one of the most powerful cars in its class now, and it pulls really, really well. And is it going to be the same as this? But I think the point is we, we've seen a new Land Cruiser 300 series, which mm. the 200 series was on the shelf for all uh, – has to be close to 15 years. I think it was 2000, 2000 2001 that first model came out. It might have even been 99 actually. Uh, and it wasn't until, um, you know, for the 100 series, then we see the – I think it's 2004, 2005, we see the 200 series and now the 300 series. I would have expected in line with that new 300 series, we'd see a new Prado, but that clearly isn't isn't going to happen. Uh, Ford Bronco have revealed their Raptor. Now, there's still no word on whether we're going to see that in Australia. So this is their Raptor edition 
of the Ford Bronco. It's an incredible looking car. Unfortunately for all of us down under, we're at this stage not going to see it, Redmond. I'm not sure it's going to tow the boat as well as a Land Cruiser 300 series, but it's an incredible looking off-road vehicle. Why, why, won't, why won't it get here? Like, why? Well, I'm assuming it's the, it's the cost analysis. You bring that vehicle to Australia. Does it compete with other models that Ford are offering, potentially? Obviously, Everest is, is a commitment that Ford made to Australia, essentially replacing what was the, the territory. And then you've got a run beneath that, sort of the Endura. So I dare say it's an internal competition decision, but looking at it, it's the most, it's an incredible looking car. It's just a shame we won't get to see it um, in Australia anytime soon. And one I think you'll like. As, as we finish our sort of fishing news, uh, Redmond, this week, 10 years to the day almost, uh, it was a great story published on BoatSales.com. A regulator 26 centre console that survived more than three years at sea after a rogue wave capsized it in 2008. So the boat was recovered, you know, back end uh, of 2011, uh, early 2012, off the Spanish um, coast. Quite extraordinary, considering not, considering not where it, where it rolled over in Nantucket. The, the similar to the bar crusher story a few years ago, Pat. The Correct, one exactly. And rocked up at uh, Sydney, I think it was, or 2,000 kilometres from where it was, and it got returned to the owner at Sydney. Well, that <laughs> was that, that was New Zealand to Australia. This was this was almost 5,000 kilometers away on the other side of the atlantic ocean it's just <laughs> incredible i tell you what it's a great adver- advertisement um to regulator and if you're in the in the center console market you might want to consider their 26 because it doesn't need to be skipped for three years and it'll still be on the water <laughs> so what's their advertisement doesn't sink for three years <laughs> <laughs> something like that hey <laughs> um earlier in the week you caught a cracking size mako and we've had plenty of questions on our socials around the best way to target a mako shark in particular. We've had a few listeners and a few um, of your salt guide members and followers that have gone out to that sort of 70-metre mark, caught blue sharks. There's plenty of sort of around that mark. But specifically for makos, was it is it luck for you? You know, talk us through the methodology around targeting them, the time of the day, the boat using and why you did what you did. Yeah, and another thing I want to talk a little bit about is just how to handle them at the boat too, Pat. So I'll get to that at the end. But, you know, I had, I had to go chase one. It's uh, you, and, you and I have been talking about it on the show for weeks now just about the sharks, uh, the shark activity right around Victoria, and, and it is busy. And, and we, you and I both called it for the start of the season. We said if the tuna rock up like they are, the shark activity is just going to get more and more. And uh, it's... It's shaping up to get it's, – it's literally borderline every day. We're seeing – it's out of control. Like we're seeing, what, three to ten different site, uh, sharks sighted right around Victoria at the moment in close to beaches. I know during the week the Westpac chopper found three big bronzies sitting off the, where the ferry parks at Sorrento, and there's tens of thousands of people that swim right through there. Bronzies aren't, don't tend to be as dangerous, even though I believe it was the one off Ocean Grove that had that incident. But I believe they're sort of a timid shark. And if you want to target a bronzy in those shallow areas, 
away from swimmers and beaches, obviously. You can just set up a nice burly trail and you can catch yourselves some bronzies and they're a beautiful eating shark. Where with the Makos, I'm actually heading out into the deeper waters like you spoke about before in the ocean and I'm setting my drift up. Once again, we speak about it all the time in changing contours. We need to change contours. So we're trying to change depths. We're trying to get a parallel to depth changes so that way we can carve different depths or reefs that the Makos are going to be traveling on. They're going to hit the Burley, intercept it, and end up traveling hopefully the way that we're sitting, and that's up the Burley Trail and straight to the back of the boat where we are. Now, during the week, I started in about 62 meters, I think it was. I had a light southeasterly wind, and uh, it was beautiful out there. And uh, we, we, I actually run baits in the water, Pat. So you might hear me often say I don't run baits in the water for a shark, for a mako particularly, until I see the shark. Now, the reason for that is we get a lot of small sharks around. But uh, if you catch one of those on a 24-kilo outfit, they're not much fun. You're not really going to have the time of your life. It's you sort of just going to be over before it starts. Yeah. Uh, so I recommend if you do want to try and have a bit of fun, try and see it before you hook it. Uh, contradicting myself here, I did run my two baits out. The reason I did that is I ran one slightly down deeper and I ran one up in top of the water column. Uh, so you used a balloon essentially to keep it afloat? Yeah, environmental friendly balloon I think you've got to use now and use one of the, sent it out the back and had it out the back nice and far. And it, uh, it, it probably only like maybe 40 metres out the back of the boat. And then I had one probably 15, 20 metres that was down a little bit deeper, running wire trace with a nice uh, with a nice big hook on it. So as that, you see the shark as it comes up, are we free free spooling? How are we, how are we hooking that shark when, when it first comes on? How are we setting that, that rod, if it's a chagger or whatever, um, are we leaving it in free spool and we're just keeping an eye on it? What's your go-to? So what I'm doing is when the shark comes up, I'm trying to actually, like I said, depend, I'll, I'll bust out the gear that I want to use. So if it's a smaller shark, say under 20 kilo, I might just run a gummy rod for it, Pat. If, yep. I, if, it's, a, if it's a big 100 kilo one or 50 kilo like we got, I, I ran a 24 kilo rod. But about setting the hook, you want to let it I, – I was there to kill. Now, I love eating sharks. I, that Mako particularly. It's a beautiful eating shark. I wanted to keep this shark. So I ran a straight hook, not a circle hook. Circles will also work really well to, to, to if you do want to keep a shark as well. But what you want to do is you want to actually let them eat it because it's such a big bait and such a big shark. You want to actually let them get it down their mouth. And then only for a few seconds, three or four seconds, you can go a bit longer with a circle hook. And then I go up to strike on the, tip, the 24 kilo. And then I literally, I'm winding and trying to set this hook as hard as physically physically as hard as i can by pulling back into the shark with the rod so you're jolting it aren't you like pretty much jolting it into the shark and whining at the same time really trying to dig this hook in and sure enough it went into the shark this shark took the furthest bait back it didn't get up to the boat uh it was a nice shark around that probably 40 50 kilo probably around that fifth more 50 and it was a really really good fish it come up nicely along the side of the boat did a couple of big cartwheels out of the water and sure enough, we got it. Now, the burley that I was using was all my leftover tuna scraps, Pat. So all the bloodlines and all the offcuts and all the crap that basically that you throw out, I guess. I just was cu- – I was actually cubing that, like cutting it up and throwing it into the water, just little – just three or four pieces every sort of few minutes, just like flicking it over as I went. 
And I also had burly logs out. Now, the key with your burly logs is you need to make sure they're decent ones. Don't go buying crap ones. You need to make sure that they're decent. So ask them what's in it. If they don't want to know what's in it, I'd go to a different store because if you buy seven or eight burly logs, they're going to cost you 150 bucks. It's a lot of money just to waste. So yep. I'd be definitely getting good ones. I also run tuna oil out of the side of the boat. I put a hole in a tuna oil uh, in a in a bottle. I hang that over the side of the boat too because obviously tuna oil is good. You can tie up a tuna on the side of the boat as well, Pat, if you've caught a tuna the day before and you've got the carcass, tie the, tar- tie the carcass up on the side of the boat. Nothing's going to waste then. It works really well, and that works well. But the biggest key is don't let the burley stop. If you let the burley stop and you put a break in your burley trail, that shark that's swimming up to you hits the break in it, and if you've left it for five minutes and you've drifted 300 metres, it turns and goes the other way. Yep. You don't want to let it have that. Now, when you're handling them at the boat, as of my number one rule, a mako's not dead until you've eaten it. They just, they're just a powerful, powerful creature. And multiple ways you can handle these sharks. You can fly and gaff them and you can fix gaff them. The other day I just used a fixed gaff and I've got a tail rope on it as quick as I could. The easiest way to get a tail rope on it is to actually, when you gaff it, put the boat, have the boat in gear with someone with the gaff so it's the sharks actually sort of swimming with the boat. That way the head can't get to you, Pat. And you yep. can actually put rope on the tail. It's a bit safer. Have it tied off to the back of the boat. And then if you do have a flying gaff and you've got a big shark, you can use the flying gaff rope to tie off. And that way you're not going to hurt yourself or smash your boat up. You can tie both ropes off to wherever you need and hope it stays in, obviously. Uh, but, like, they don't die. They, you've got to bleed them straight away, pull them backwards. It's the only way to, to – like, this shark 30 minutes Probably later, dispatch of it. Yeah, probably dispatch it. And then once I feel as though I'm comfortable that it's dispatched, I then do my best to get the guts out of it as quick as I can. And then I, if possible, I've got a big tuna barrel bag that I took out, Pat, from Mad Fish, and I got it into the bag on ice just because I wanted to look after it. I don't yeah. I don't like killing things for no reason. I, I love eating mako. It's a beautiful eating shark. I've all got to eat. And it's the, the one of them, they're probably my top, top fuel fish to eat. And we just wanted to look after it. So I filled its guts up with ice. And um, chucked it in the ice, in the ice slurry in the bag. So that there is sort of your brief way to target a mako. A few other little things that you need to, to do and whatnot. But um, yeah, although there's plenty of videos on the website, as we like to say, on Salt Guide. So make sure you check it out if you are interested. But it's well and truly worth getting out there now and chasing one because they are so much fun. We've got a massive show of real adventures heading your way this morning. Christina Casales joins me. Her and her partner, John, have been heading up north. Uh, they purchased a 50-foot boat during lockdown. They've spent time uh, rebuilding it, doing it up, and they've been travelling up the eastern seaboard. It's an incredible story. It's a great chat. We're chatting to her a little later in the show. But after the break, we answer your questions on social media, and we've got our fishing wrap from around the country and what's biting in your state. This is Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. Uh, it's time of the whip around Redmond and our New South Wales fishing wrap for New South Wales Maritime. Look after your life jacket and it will look after you. Don't risk your life. Let's start off in New South Wales, Redmond. There's been some really good reports of some build fish of late. 
there is actually a bit of a reminder. I need to go get your boat service, to be honest. To get up there, <laughs> a little reminder for myself. Sorry, I might just drop that down. This on the note, baby. note to self. Note to self. Note get to self. the uh, boat get, service. Get, yeah, get the boat service because it'll be about four hundred hours by the time it gets back from my marlin fishing. Perfect. Um, marlin, yeah, exciting, really exciting. Up Sydney way, starting to fish better. Uh, ever, I think everything's had a bit of an influence on it. Uh, volcanoes, <laughs> cyclones, tsunamis. I think everything's played a bit of a role. Uh, but the current starting to shape up. I had a few boys that I spoke to during the week, uh, the likes of Joel Ryan, Daniel Riosa. Uh, they're really renowned uh, marlin fishermen. They do really well, and they told me to stay on the tuna for a bit longer because it just isn't quite right yet. And we're talking southeast, so more your Burmy Tarthra way. But there has been some good fish off Tarthra, a few fish off Burmy. They had a few comps in Burmy during the week, and say 60 boats out, 30 fish were getting caught where normally – some boats can have up to 10, 15 fish a day at times. So it's not there, but it's well worth having a crack if you're interested. Something that what, is interesting is – sorry. What about, what about any – in terms of the dolphin fish working their way down, they're always a bit yeah. of a bycatch when you're spending time um, fishing offshore, particularly for billfish. Any really good size fish being caught or not particularly? Yeah, no, there is. I've actually seen some – so the fads, the fads are what do a lot of the work, and not only the fads – is the traps too. So, for example, Trapman Bermagui, who's a fantastic um, commercial fisherman out of Burmy, and we follow him all on social media. He's got a very big audience, and he obviously sets traps out there. And when you've got a bit of current running on the traps, they hold dolphin fish too, Pat. So not just the fads work, any sort of structure there they'll hang on to. Even even a log or a big bit of kelp, Pat, that's floating, dolphin fish will follow. That was a New South Wales fishing wrap for New South Wales. Make sure your life jacket is in good working order. It can only save your life if you're wearing it. South Australia, Redmond, uh, our good mate, Nen McHenry, uh, Adelaide Crow, of course, he's been taking a few of his fellow players out and they've been getting some really nice southern bluefin tuna. There's good reports of fish at the moment. Yeah, so where are those boys out of? Sorry again, Pax. I reckon it's, I've got Victor Harbour. I've seen some really good catches. The, you know, they've been fishing Victor, yeah. So they'll, they'll, Ned will pick up the boat and they'll drive it down south. And the beauty yeah, about so Victor, Victor Harbour is you can launch and then, uh, depending on where the fish are feeding, you're within a couple of k's and you're all of a sudden on, on to fish. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, that's the that's the reports that I'm getting. They're fishing really, really well. And big fish, up to 30 kilo. They're not too hard to catch. They've been taking lure as well. If you can get a few turns on them and locate them, casting, once again, I won't ever go past them. It's the bungee cast. that They just work so, so good. Uh, upgrade the trebles, as we always say, Pat. So that's been the tuna fishery. Like It's running from up Victor Harbour, even further up, right down to where we are, past where we are, down right down to Gippsland Way. Like it's... Mm. It's just getting – it's just out of control. Like it's – it's and, it, and we're only getting better and better as the fishery becomes more sustainable over the next few years. It's just going to be out of control. Like I'm really looking forward to it because they're growing too. So remember last yep. year, Ned, getting fish around that 15 kilo. Now these are bigger again, and it's the same thing that's happened out of here. They were 20 kilo. Now they're 30s. So like more often, like you get the odd bigger one, but I'm talking about on the averages. So it's really, really, really good to see. Uh, Daily Heads has – huge schools of salmon right now, Pat. I'm not sure if you've seen that on social media. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the the water's like, black. Literally black. So um, SA Angler actually posted it during the week, so we won't take the credit from Shane there. Shane, I gave us the report, and it's if you're out there on the, on the beaches and you can get up nice and high, look for blackness in the water, 
And if they're not sharks, they're salmon. So <laughs> make sure you get your get your metal lures into there. Or if there's and a just, gap between uh, those fish, that that is a shark. Yeah, that, there's and there's a good chance there will be. So yeah, yeah. Uh, West Lakes had some big mulloway caught. Now not common, but there's been a fair few fish caught. One of the fish was well over a meter twenty. Like that's a big mulloway. Uh, whether it was bycatch or not, who knows? I don't think they'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure you're going to West Lakes to target your, your no. sort of meter plus um, well, no, away, but you take seen, you take those fish when they're there. I've seen three in the past two weeks come out of there with one of them being a meter 20. Like, I think it's time <laughs> to chuck in a couple of potty mullet there, Pat, on a couple of live bait hooks because, like I said, I think they might have been bycatch, but that's it's, really, it's, just, it's just the fishing these days. There's no written book for it anymore, Pat. It's just... Things are happening. I don't know where we go with global warming if you want to go with that one. So things are changing. So <laughs> I, I, I don't really know why. I, I think it's, it's the sustainability of just the government's doing such good work, but it's it's really, really exciting. Uh, heading to Queensland, Pat, your neck of the woods, Hitchinbrook, you've got a report for the Barramundi out of there. Yeah, there's been fish caught over the metre mark, which has been quite regular, which I suppose to us it's irregular, but some pretty damn good-sized fish and some crazy uh, action out uh, of the rivers with huge school of jelly prawns being sort of pushed up and then the, the GTs feeding on them. So that, that's pretty exciting in itself, Aaron. Yeah, and amongst those prawns, uh, so the Nirang River, and amongst the prawns getting pushed up against the walls, like you said, GTs, but not just GTs, like Big Eye, Brassy Trevally, Taylor, just to name a few. So good fish too, like proper five plus to up to 10 kilo GT is like really, really good fish in the river. So uh, once again, there's no rule book, Pat. Tasmania, Redmond, our good, our, we've got a great report from our uh, our good friend, Paul Worsling. He's been deep dropping off Eagle Hawk neck uh, some 500 metres deep and they've been getting some cracking hockey, uh, which are one of the most beautiful eating fish in the sea. Now, I'm not sure I'm going... Um, I'm going deep dropping in 500 metres of water. They're using electric reels quite clearly, but they're a beautiful eating fish if you're happy to cast your lure down 500 metres, or your bait rather. As well, in that same depth through the frost fish, those ribbons there, they literally look like a mirror on the outside. They sort of look like a yeah. gigantic eel. And those swordfish that we that, that are caught right along the continental shelf on the other side of it in those depths, that's what's commonly in those frost fish. are actually what's commonly in the swordfish stomachs so that swordfish like eating them and also they're fantastic eating for us too they're a beautifully anything that basically caught in the deep seems to be really really good eating so uh paul also had a report where he managed to land and capture and release a like 130 140 kilo mako too filming for his eye fish episode two out of tassie as well so he was out of um uh, I was about to say Lord Howe Island there, but I was completely right to you. <laughs> You're Eagle right, Neck. it's not Lord Howe. Wrong, wrong place, Eagle Hawk Neck. So it's, uh, yeah, Tazzy's just doing what Tazzy does. Crayfish, he's, he tells me little stories, like he's just heading out and he's uh, just leaves leaves the house in the morning and drops his cray pots in on the way out. 20Ks <laughs> later, he's on the shelf catching all these and he comes up and catches a heap of striped trumpeter. And I'm just thinking, you got it pretty good, Paul. So it's going to be very exciting to watch an eye fish in the next few months. The iFish Summer Series is on now as well for those interested. Uh, Western Australia, the Metro Mackies out of Perth have been going really well. Just Halco Lures, Redmond, it's pretty simple. Uh, and there's yeah. been ye- Yellowtail uh, caught off Rotnest Island as well. There's been plenty of boats out, so it's been pretty busy. Um, 
but for those interested in that uh, in that part of the world, um, the yellowtail are certainly catchable and fishable. Uh, that wraps up our, uh, our whip around Redmond. It's time for the social club. We take your questions from social media. Uh, make sure you send us a direct message on our Facebook or Instagram or better yet, download our Real Adventures app. The first question, Redmond, you've got it. It is. It's from Larry. And I'm tipping you watched your social media during the week, Pat, because you're out with young George and, and your dad and catching salmon on fly. Now, his question is, with your techniques that you're using to catch salmon on the fly, will this? do you think this will work on sunny tuna and as well as feeding kingfish as well? Well, we've often spoken about this, Redmond, when we've talked about tuna sunning themselves. And the biggest challenge that, that you've always talked about is when tuna are sunning themselves, they're not really feeding. No. And I know I've asked you the question, well, what if we went really small on the fly, like um, exceptionally small? And the challenge is going to be getting them in a mood to, to actually bite. Now, when they're feeding on krill and really small crustaceans, that's the time to get your fly into the tuna. And, and you've had plenty of times, Redmond, where you've gone out and, and your report is they're there, they're feeding, but they're just not feeding on anything that you can present yeah. as a lure because it's just – they're just too big. So yeah. I've, I've got no doubt when they're, when they're feeding on that sort of, um, you know, those really small species, the fly will be a great way to fish for them. When they're sunning themselves a bit harder, kingfish well, depending on the move they're on, Redmond. Well, when they're – I think you nailed it. When they're sunning themselves, they're – they're sunning themselves. They're literally yeah, just in yeah. the sun rolling. So they're not – so the, I think it's actually the other way. Rather than throwing a small fly in there to try and catch them, they're probably not even going to notice it. Where yeah. if you get a big popper in there or a nice-sized popper and you're actually trying to piss Annoy the fish them off, almost, yeah. You're yeah, trying to yeah. annoy – trying to really fire like – you're trying to get a reactive bite out of it, and that that does work. So I think it's actually the other way. Uh, I know on the kingfish, have you caught kings on the fly yet on the top water? Because I know you've been wanting to do it. Yeah, I have, and – Three weeks ago, uh, Mark uh, Wagle from from Millbrook Lakes, he fished off Barwon Heads and they got small kings on the fly. So it's a great way to fish for them. Um, you, you need to go relatively heavy because kingfish are hard enough to catch on the best days, but um, you'd sort of want your eight weight. But getting back to your question on salmon, it's a great way to fish for them. We pick the smallest, smallest flies possible uh, and they're a huge amount of fun. And there's plenty of really big salmon schools where we can get in quite close to them, turn the motor off, and then you're drifting around these these huge schools. And it's a fast strip, and it's it's really exciting way to fish for them. Apologies, but bringing up old memories, George seems to be better on the net than the old man. <laughs> he, he had a ball. He he loves <laughs> fishing, but Jeezy enjoyed the net. So he was holding the net <laughs> at the back of the boat, brought it in, and he'd come in and be like, yeah, got it. So he's done a uh, he's done a terrific job. Now we've run out of time, Redmond, because uh, because our rap went a little, little longer. Um, apologies for that. Uh, plenty more real adventures after the break. That was the social club. Gearing up for Dometic, everything you need for adventures, big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic. It's time for gearing up for the Dometic Patrol and Ice Box with a sense of adventure. Earlier in the week, I caught up with Christina Costales and her and her partner, John, have been gallivanting up and down the eastern seaboard of Australia. The boat Takana is currently in the Sundays. John's doing some work there. Christina's doing some voiceover work at the Australian Open. Christina, thanks for joining me this morning. 
my wife and I, and we were just chatting before off air, we've been watching uh, your exploits, your and John's exploits over the last few months and and wondering in awe, one, to have the kahunas just to go, you know what, we're going to pack up everything that we have. We're going to buy a boat and we're going to travel up the eastern seaboard of Australia. What, what were you thinking? Uh, I'm, I was really excited, but we were extremely nervous. Uh, obviously, we had only had, well, I had only had five days experience on a boat, uh, let alone one that was 50 foot with no bow thruster. <laughs> um, and John was, yeah, he was pretty nervous too. But, you know, we had just experienced a year and a half in lockdown in Melbourne and we were extremely over it. So, you know, we just kept on looking forward and the journey ahead seemed to be really exciting. Now, I stumbled on your journey through Club Marine. You've written a wonderful article. And then at the end of the article, I discovered that you've done a, a YouTube series on it. And I think there's a difference between someone like me that picks up a, a GoPro and then films something and puts it on YouTube versus you, you're by trade, you're a journo, so you know what you're doing. The 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 episodes themselves, they're bloody sensational. They must take a huge amount of time. Oh yeah, that will um the filming is just very spontaneous. So, you know, when we're doing something crazy or interesting or, you know, all hell breaks loose, then the camera's out. Um and you're right though, the editing part is pretty time consuming. It takes about three days to edit an eighteen minute video. Um, but the content in terms of like getting the camera out and filming, it just, it just flows and it just happens and everything you see is unfolding as it would naturally. And yeah, I hope that resonates. <laughs> so going back to the start, because I, I, I get a bit excited because I've loved, I've loved the story so much. We're in lockdown 3.0 in Melbourne and you and John decide we're going to buy a boat, having very little sailing experience. You then do up the boat, which was a which was a journey in itself, and you did most of the work yourselves, which was incredible. John must be pretty handy. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Yeah, he's he's very savvy when it comes to that sort of stuff. Definitely, I'm his right hand woman, but he's just the brains behind everything. So then you you you, you Renault the boat. Takana, it's absolutely beautiful. And as you mentioned before, it's 50 foot long. Like it's not like your first foray into sailing was a 14 foot skiff. This is this is hardcore. It's a big boat and and you and you get straight into you know launching through and sailing through Port Phillip heads, which you know on this show we talk about fishing all the time and how dangerous it is going through Port Phillip Bay heads. And you're doing that off very limited experience in a 50 foot boat. And there's like the, the motor that you've got, it's not exactly something that can get you out of trouble quickly. Like you're you're on your own steam with the sail. Yeah, definitely. We threw ourselves in the deep end. We were definitely not after a 50 foot boat. We were <laughs> after something a little smaller. Uh, we had something like, you know, a 40 foot in mind. But uh, anyone who's out trying to look for a boat at the moment, there's, it's a nightmare. Not, yeah, there's not much on the market. So, you know, for us to do this experience, uh, we had to, you know, improvise and that's my 50 foot boat I have to say it was extremely nerve-wracking getting out of the berth 
um, there were some very, very close calls. And I probably wouldn't recommend it um, <laughs> without getting some experience and some practice. So we, we um, actually paid for a skipper to come on board and help us for a couple of hours. Uh, we still felt extremely nervous. There's no bow thruster, as I meant. So as I said earlier, so it was very, very, very um, extremely worrying. But, you know, once we were out of there, uh, we waved to a few of our friends who, who came down to see us off. And it was such a beautiful experience. I was more excited about, you know, saying goodbye and you know, <laughs> farewelling our friends. And I remember John just going, Christina, get the fenders. You know, like, <laughs> you know, we're in boat mode now. This is serious. And, you know, I was just in this fairy tale, dreamlike state. And uh, John was already in skipper mode and um, trying to trying to let me know the seriousness of what we're about to to take on. And it was pretty wild going through the Bass Strait, I must say. Well, speaking of, it's almost a baptism of fire. You 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 enter Port Phillip Bay heads into Bass Strait, and then you sailed on and on and on through the night. <laughs> Those first few episodes, I think it was episode seven and eight, where you you started to you headed off on the on the journey, and I think it was the autopilot that was malfunctioning slightly, so you couldn't just keep. Draw up, keep sailing, and trust it. John had to be up, and, and you had to be up, and you must have been buggered after those first few days. a hundred percent. I think you know, we we only had well, I only had that five days experience. Um, we were able to do two weeks on someone else's boat, which who actually turned out to be the previous owner, which was incredible. But at the same time, I still hadn't had any hands-on experience because, you know, that wasn't our boat. Um, so, you know, when we were out in the Bass Strait, we felt very sort of like isolated and alone because it was just the two of us on board. Are. Yeah. And it was just the two of us on board. And obviously John being a pilot, um, I don't know. He, I guess he just he just knew what to do. But at the same time, I think he might have felt even more isolated because he was the only one who <laughs> felt comfortable behind the helm. So he yeah. stayed up for 18 hours. We the, It was really unusual. It was a moonless night, so it was completely dark. Um, we were obviously very isolated and, yeah, just two of us on board. And when the autopilot completely cut off intermittently we were I probably can't say this word I was gonna say I was shitting ourselves but you know we were I was, can we say that? <laughs> I was um and and you know we're going along and we just wouldn't know when it was going to cut out and there was this one point in the sale where the autopilot was you know working for us and then all of a sudden we've done this complete 180 we, we we were going the other way back to Melbourne, <laughs> but we you, we didn't even realise it until we heard the head sail flapping, and at that point we realised okay we've got a big four days ahead of us because we didn't stop <laughs> we went from Melbourne to Sydney in four days and it was only at night time that the autopilot was dis, like malfunctioning because perfect great issues. time for it to malfunction <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> because we we later realised there were some issues with the solar panels and and um and the power that was going to the batteries and and um it's all rectified now but at that stage. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't ideal. And then, you know, we had that second situation whereby 
We were told that this could happen, but we didn't realize it was going to happen so early in a trip. But um, our our furling line jumped off the furler and wrapped around the force day. And that meant that we couldn't put our head sail away. And that was probably worse than the autopilot yeah. because John had to go to the bow of the boat in, you know, the rolling seas. I'm at the back <laughs> of their helm looking up at him. He's got a screwdriver in his hand trying to, you know, get this this line off the furler and it was it was on tight and uh, he came back white, um, <laughs> you know, seasick and and feeling feeling awful. But um, I was just practicing the man overboard situation over and over. It was it was hairy. It it must be though an incredible sense of achievement knowing the both of you. You're on this boat. If something goes wrong, well, you've got to turn to Mister Fix It. You, you've you've both got to work through it together. Because you can't exactly call the RACV and they'll come out and, and and fix it. Like you've got to become a jack of all trades when you're on a, a journey like you've been on. Yeah, absolutely. I wish I did have more of a mechanical mind like John. <laughs> um, and you're right, he is Mr. Fix-It. And um, at the same time, you know, I've tried to um, learn along the way. I don't know. It's just, yeah, I'm just, I'm just really lucky um, that that we've had him on board. Because I tell you what, we would have ended up on a reef multiple times this trip <laughs> if it was left, left, uh, left up to me. So I think we work definitely as a great team. Though I'm, I'm in the kitchen, and uh, you know, I feed him. You gotta eat. You gotta <laughs> eat. <laughs> and uh, you know, but you know, in all seriousness, um, yeah, I think we do work. I don't mind getting my hands dirty as well, but yeah, we we definitely um, yeah, he's the brains. <laughs> is it is it safe to say though? It's taken John some time to feel comfortable in front of the camera because from episode one, where it seemed like he didn't really want to be there, and now because for for yeah. those listening, it's not just this has been you know the day on the boat and we've been here here and and that's it. You actually mm. go into a bit of depth around the places that you journey to a bit of the history behind those places that's what i love about it how much how much effort you actually put into that side of the production but john's certainly more uh, receptive to to your <laughs> questions around where we're going what it means um it's just great i think i just wore him down i didn't give him a choice <laughs> you know because whenever something crazy was happening i'd put the camera in his well not in his face but you know i was just filming and um you know, initially, yeah, he was he was very nervous, and I mean, we honestly we had no experience, and we're I'm about to put it online for the world to see. We were very vulnerable, um, <laughs> but you know, as we got more hours under our belt, and I continued to pursue putting the camera in front of him, <laughs> um, and not giving you him. Got a him. You know, I'm so grateful though because he is a wealth of knowledge, and I'm able that the world gets to see that side of him because. Um, yeah, we've got so much to share and so much to, um, you know, I, I, we've had so many messages from people saying, you know, you're the one who got us over the line to buy a boat. Yeah. And that just blows my mind. It blows my mind. And I have no doubt it's because, one, we have been honest in the journey. We've been able to share those experiences. And I hope, you know, that people also get to learn from from the mistakes that we have made and um and the vulnerability that we've we've showed and um and some of those tips that John has also been able to share with with everybody too. Yeah, it's a it's a huge amount of fun. Now, the places that you've been, this will be in 
almost impossible question to answer, but can you give me three destinations that are bucket list items mm. for those looking to sail? Because there seems to have been so many of them, but are there three that you can sort of lock down and go, this was just an incredible place to experience by boat. And yeah. it's sort of hard to experience it any other way than, than sailing there. Mm, absolutely. Uh, I think Lizard Island is number one top of the list. I mean, that's a place where people spend two and a half thousand dollars a night in a resort to go to this beautiful remote island in North Queensland. And it is absolutely stunning. But if you go there by boat, it's free. (laughs) You know, you just, you know, you, you sail up to the anchorage and you put your anchor out and you get to experience paradise and magic. And it has to be one of the most spectacular Australian islands we witnessed on this trip. And we haven't reached that point in our YouTube journey yet. So I'm so excited to share that part of our trip with everybody. Um, Another place that was definitely up there is Hinchinbrook. It's just absolutely stunning. Uh, We... We anchored off in a place called Zoe Bay and it's crocodile territory there. So you also have that layer. And, um, you know, we hiked up to this sensational waterfall looking back over the bay and we were the only ones crazy enough to be <laughs> parking up in this in this location with the swell that we were experienced. But um, that's also another episode that's, that's coming up further in this journey uh, online. Uh, but that was just pure magic. Uh, the it's challenges, like there. clearly a, pl- a place like Hitchinbrook where you're dealing with uh, significant tidal changes mm-hmm. and when you've got a draft of a sailboat that's 50 foot long, it's not like you can you wade through three foot of water. You need to calculate, you know, the, the changes that you're going to experience right throughout the day. So you've got to be careful with where you go. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. And where you're anchoring up as well. And um, yeah, we have a 2.2 metre draft. So um, we had to be very mindful of that. And unlike a catamaran where, you know, they can go quite close to shore and, and get that protection. Uh, we weren't so lucky in some anchorages. So, you know, That's we, the dinghy. <laughs> yeah, we, we did have to, um, we did have to cop the swell some nights when other people would just have an incredible peaceful sleep. But uh, I guess that's what comes with having a 2.2 metre draft. So I know I've, I've rambled on for too long and I've taken up Not too much time. We're under a bit of time pressure. But Christina Travels is where we search the journey. Can you tell us more about how to, to get on board and, and, and support and follow the trip? Because I've loved it so much, but as much as I've loved it, I'm a fishing and boating person. My wife is less so, but she's loved it just as much as I have. Oh. I think because of those things that you mentioned, it's it's real. You're experiencing, you know, what you guys are all by, um, you know, how we do in COVID times on on the screen. Um, how do we follow? Well, it's uh, it's. I wish it was Christina and John's travels, but again, you, you know, John was that introvert, so it's Christina's he didn't put travels. The in early. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's like, no, no, this is your thing. So it's Christina's <laughs> travels with a K, and um, and I love that your wife is into it because a lot of women, you know, aren't into boating, and it's such a shame because it is such an invigorating experience, and you feel like you are living. And I guess I'd like to say, you know, we're a boating channel, but I I think we're more a lifestyle as well um, 
from you know that female's perspective but also you get to see john's from a male's as well um so yeah thank you so much for watching and say thank you to your wife as well and, and for everyone <laughs> And I, I hope you really enjoy it. We've only just reached the most incredible spot, the Wit Sundays, and we are heading all the way up to Lizard and we have so much to share. So, um, yeah, check it out and start from the beginning when we buy Takana. Uh, yeah, it was it was wild from the start and it just keeps on getting crazier as we go. And we also have a near-miss, extremely wild experience as well uh, at Lady Musgrave, we had a um, an experience where we dragged anchor with bombies all around us. That's that's coming up as well. <laughs> and we had a guy that anchored too close to us in the middle of the night during a storm, and we were up against each other. So there are some wild experiences ahead. <laughs> we're looking forward to it, Christine. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this morning. Thanks again. Oh, thank you, Patrick, for having us. That was gearing up for the Dometic Patrol, an ice box with a sense of adventure. Red's Review for Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. It's now time for Red's Review for Club Marine. And this week, on the back of the Mako that you caught uh, earlier in the week, Redman, we're talking about traces, whether you make them at home, yourself, you buy them off the shelf, and the importance of size. Yeah, it's a good question. And once again, a little, there's a few elements that come into it. Number one's trust you trust what you buy number two is i guess it's price on on the pricey side of things when you want to when you want to buy things that are already made especially locally made uh, uh you can there's so much there is a lot of quality out there uh i follow a guy's predator tackle on social media they make up shark traces and i see people down at 90 mile beach catching bloody 250 kilo bronzies off the beach and the odd hammerhead, whatever it is, and they seem to work really, really well. So there are there are definitely companies out there that, that sell them. But for me, I, I much prefer to make them myself. It comes down to the length of shark, uh, the, the length of the wide trace I want to use for each sort of species of sharks. Now, if I'm running circle hooks, you all know that I really like to actually have a circle hook sort of kick back on itself. So I tend to run slightly thinner wire, maybe around that 120-pound wire, and I like to actually kink it on itself so the circle rolls back and will hook that shark in the corner of the jaw. Where a fixed hook, I actually don't worry – well, sorry, not a fixed hook, a straight hook. I don't tr actually worry about fixing it as such like I do when I'm trawling for a barrel bluefin. And what I mean by that is the hook actually stays fixed. I use a figure eight knot around the hook where it actually goes through the eye and keeps the, the hook firm in one spot. It sits upright in the, in the lure in one spot. Where for a shark trace, I use what's called a cat's paw knot. And it's pretty simple. You just go, you basically make a circle uh, with the, the wire, go through the hook, then come back through that circle, and then you actually crimp it on yourself. It's actually quite easy, and it's just a sw traditional swinging hook. Now, the reason I say this, because I haven't got too long, is if I'm tracing a thresher, I might only want, say, 30 metres of trace. Now, the reason for that is you don't want too much wire in the water because they can be timid at times. I'd rather have mono a, a wind-on leader of 200 pounds or 150 pound or 120 rather than having a nice, a nice two meter trace. So with a Mako, they're not as fun, not as funny with the wire. So you can buy one and run it nice and long. But for me, it's definitely about making it myself, running the size of the hooks I want for the size of the sharks that I believe I'm going to catch. I have three or four different sizes on the boat, depending on the shark that comes up to the boat traditionally. And also the crimping gear, you need to get wire, little crimps, and the actual tool itself will do will actually crimp up the wire. You don't need anything different than what you do 
for when you're chasing big bluefin or crimping any gear any for any fish that you're chasing. That's Shark Traces, and that is Red's Review for Club Marine. That was Red's Review for Club Marine. Insure your boat or jet ski with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Check the PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for Red's Tip for Go Fish Nagambi, happening from the 10th to the 13th of February. Entries on sale now. Cast your way to 80 grand. This week on Red's Tip, we're talking about uh, slightly deflating your tyres, Redman, but it's not something you have to do every time you drive your car uh, onto the beach. And this is off the back of a few questions we've had, Redmond, about the beach launching that we do and do we always deflate our tyres. Well, if we're launching in an area where the sand is really soft, whether that's an access ramp and we're coming up onto dry, soft sand, or you can walk a- along the sand and just feel it under your feet where it, it, start- it starts to absorb any weight and you start to fall through it. If you're in that sort of scenario well, yes, absolutely. It makes sense to uh, to deflate your tyres to a certain extent. But if we're launching Redmond in regions where the access to the beach is really good, the sand is really hard, and we've got our method down pat with the way that we launch the boat, we literally we we put it in reverse, we take the steady back, we drop it off the boat, we drive forward, and then when we retrieve the boat, we essentially use a snatch'em strap and we skull drag the boat up far from the water's edge, then very rarely do we ever uh, deflate the tyres because it's a bit of a pain in the ass. Is it something worth doing when you know you're under pressure and the, the, the beach is soft? Absolutely. Is it something we do every time? The reality is, and we'll be totally honest, as we always are on this show, it's not something that we do every time, Redmond. Yeah, well, you and your dad are very familiar with it because you do a lot of beach launching so i wouldn't be listening to me on that one i reckon i actually listen to you for a for a change it doesn't matter it doesn't mean that we never get bogged but it's just it's just being honest i know i know that because i got a phone call at aries inlet uh cafe buying you breakfast one day with you can you get over that no i was sad anyway and that was red's tip for go fish nagambi on february 10 to february 13 every fisho is in with a chance at Go Fish Nagambi on February 10 to February 13. Enter now. Yes, I'm taking the yes. gap. I've had to work myself up. The area's in that swore me up like I did that bacon and egg. Uh, <laughs> jet ski drivers. Oh, I'm with you here. What now, are you going to say? I'm with you. Now, there's a reason that the, 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 the most fines that go out on the bay are to jet ski drivers. <laughs> now, but, but there are some fantastic ones. I met a young fellow that's got a jet ski all kitted out for fishing during the week. We call there's, them there's four of them in the state. He was one of them. And <laughs> he was a really good bloke. Did the right things, fished. Well, I'm finding the fishermen jet ski riders are the better ones because they're, they're actually on the yeah. same page as you. Mate, yes. during the week, I shit you not what happened to us. I had five of them coming towards us. And I, 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 I shut up on the water. I don't talk on the radio. I don't yell. I don't scream. I literally shut up. I don't do anything. Even if anyone really annoys me on the water, I just shut up. I just don't do anything. I can't be bothered with any... Any, any conflicts anywhere? I just shut up. Anyway, Can you do that around me next time. No, because you really you, you go past that line. It's uh, you're more than the jet ski times. This jet ski rider was zigzagging side to side, like just going quite. The muppet. And I'm just yep. trolling for tuna, and I'm watching him come from hundreds and hundreds of 
hundreds of metres away. I've run in two teaser bars, one probably, say, 15 metres, the other one on the back of my watch, say, 35 metres. Like, like, relatively, like, not stupidly far, but they're far. This yeah, guy yeah. zigzagged in my wake and gone over my t- shotgun teaser bar, over the top of him, zigzag around it, and then three of his mates did the exact same freaking thing. Literally, straight through. I'm, I'm screaming at the back of the boat. Like, like I'm, they're only just there and they could hear me. The first guy thought I was talking to him. So he comes back around and does the same thing coming back that way to come to that side of me to come talk to me. Like, what? why do you have to be within 20 or 30 metres of a boat? You're in the middle of a freaking bass strait. Go anywhere you want to go. Like, just, just stay away from all the boats. Now, these are the fishing guys. These are the... The, the, these are the ibises of the sea. So they are they're literally they're just stay away from boats. Just do your own thing. Stay away from people swimming and do the, don't do the right thing because you've all got you've built the net. You've built the name for yourself. And like you said, there's not many that do the right thing. I apologise to anyone who does do the right thing if you're a jet ski uh, driver because I do. I love jet skis. They're good fun. But for some reason, when they get on them, ninety percent of them turn into imbeciles. Imbeciles. Must be the switch. I don't know what it is. Something happens as you turn it on and just like generates power through you to be a real idiot. So anyway, that's <laughs> beautiful work. That wraps real adventures this morning. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you next week. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi-finals. All thanks to McDonald's, Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.